We're starting each episode of Digital Workplace Impact with a little moment of digital workplace inspiration, courtesy of our sponsor, WorkGrid Software. Now, WorkGrid is leading the way in providing intelligent digital workplace assistance, just like Siri, Cortana and Alexa, but specific to your organisation and your working day. And it won't turn on randomly like my Alexa does, which I find really annoying, I'm sure you do too. These assistants will become a key part of the digital workplace and DWG has in fact produced some great research into digital workplace assistants. And in that research, we found four characteristics. First, that they speak your language. Second, that they're connected to key systems. Third, that they deliver information in context. And fourth, and I love this one, that they anticipate our needs. And that's exactly what WorkGrid software does. It's a pioneer in this area. Look into them and decide for yourself. We are in a world now where we are often working in really complex, ambiguous environments. And the last year has just been an explosion of that. So how do you get a team that you are in or leading to connect quicker at a deeper level? Because if you do that, then, you know, our team performance will increase. And that's where I think this this book and this approach uh, can really help. It helps you explore each new different elements of work that I think to date sometimes fall by the wayside a little bit but are a critical part of how we experience work today's episode's a, a, a little bit different in that i was the guest uh one of the guests on the episode rather than the host i i introduce the episode because i am the host stay with me this will start to make sense but I was one of the guests because I've co-authored, along with Shimreet James, a new book called Nature of Work, which you'll hear about. And, and so we're in conversation. There's myself, Shimreet James, Sue Pritkin-Frost, who was a person leading the Vodafone uh, digital workplace consulting practice, comes from a practitioner background. And one of the people who quite early on read the book and really um, found it very insightful. And so we um, had her on as a guest. So the conversations today is Nancy Goebel, as my new co-host, interviewing me and Sue and Shimreet all about the book. And and I suppose my reflections on it, having been a, a guest in this case, is that every time I talk about this book, I learned so much. One of the things that occurred to me, for example, is that there's an awful lot of talk for obvious reasons about digital exhaustion, uh, workplace fatigue, mental stress, lack of kind of well-being and the importance of that across the workplace. And you get this kind of exhaustion as people overwork and When you start to look at nature, as we have in the book, obviously nature experiences stress, threat, as well as health. But what you don't see in nature is just animals that are just tired, but not asleep. You know, but in the workplace, you see human beings who are tired, but not asleep. You know, you've all we've all had kind of calls with people where they kind of seems like they're they're really struggling. And and I don't think you see that in nature 
Nature reacts differently. And I wonder when we're thinking about all of these issues around fatigue, exhaustion, stress, when if we're looking at nature, we could see a different way of approaching it. It feels that the, what we want to do with stress and exhaustion is, is kind of fill people up again, which to me is a more mechanistic approach. I'm not sure whether this whole thing makes any sense, but just what kind of came to me, it's sort of mulling around in my head and probably will do when I go through my next walk this evening with Hector through the woods and through the fields and, and start kind of reflecting on nature and how it stays healthy. Now for today's episode. So this is a, a slightly different um, uh, episode. Uh, I've got a little bit of a kind of reverse surreal twist to it. Um, and the surreal twist to it is I have to remind myself that I'm the host of the podcast, but also on this particular episode, one of the guests on the podcast. So I need to remind myself of that as I'm going through because I'm also going to be inviting in to host this podcast, Nancy Goebel. And Nancy is the managing director of membership services for DWG and increasingly my co-host on the podcast. Would that be right, Nancy? That certainly would be right. And of course, I'm happy to join you for what I think will be quite an interesting podcast session today. And today we've got Shimreet Jains with us in the studio today. By day, she's the DWG Director of Knowledge, but also happens to be your co-author for the Nature of Work book. Welcome, Shimreet. Hi, Nancy. I like that. By day, I'm a Director of Knowledge. By night, I'm an author. I think I can. I'm happy to have that. That's good. (laughs) Excellent. And we also have Sue Pitkin-Frost with us. And Sue is someone who's worked in a variety of roles for global organizations, effectively as a, a business transformation leader. And within DWG, she's one of our lead strategy consultants and also a content curator for a new festival that we'll be talking a little bit later about. And so, Paul, of course, I have to put you in the hot seat first and ask you why the Nature of Workbook now and what inspired it? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, and I've discovered the story of the book since the book got published, really. Um, and I, I suppose to kind of explain why a new book called Nature of Work, the new story of work for a living age, um, I'd written a few other books. The most uh, recent one before this one was called The Digital Renaissance of Work. Uh, Prior to that, a book called The Digital Workplace, How Technology is Liberating Work. And I think it's probably three years ago now, I was thinking about what's the next book in the series. So is the book about the digital world of work, the next book, is it about more digital? Is it about technology getting smarter, more intelligent, more ubiquitous, et cetera, et cetera? And somehow that just didn't feel like a new story. It felt like the old story extended. And obviously those things are happening and will continue to happen. But I didn't think it was a significantly different step. And it frankly didn't really kind of inspire me as a new book. Then I was toying with another book, 
which was called hyperhuman, hyperdigital. And what that was saying was that we are becoming ever more digital, but we're also becoming ever more non-digital, more physical. I mean, this is all pre-COVID, so these things take on extra importance. But And I think that's true. I think we're going to become in the workplace and outside of the workplace, ever more digital, which we've experienced, but we're increasingly going to become ever more physical as well, as much as as much as is feasible. Anyway, that book ended up sounding like an interesting magazine article, but not really like a new book. I then started chatting with Shimrit um, in probably about April 2019. And what I was kind of going through my mind was I spend an awful lot of time in nature and there's a particular um, small forest called Whitley Copse that I walk through quite regularly and it's a beautiful space you can kind of feel the the atmosphere and the the kind of almost like the the silence of the of the forest as you're going through it and the noises that come in different seasons and I was saying to myself so this is a beautiful space to be in in what way is an organization different from, if you like, this organism? How is, the, how is uh, an organization like Ikea or Adobe or Verizon, in what way are they fundamentally different from, from a forest, from uh, nature? Um, and actually, as I started to think about this, for instance, you take the roots of the forest and the roots of the forest are invisible, but... They are ubiquitous and influence the health of the forest. So if you go into somewhere like Verizon, um, there will be parts of the organization that are invisible. The culture, the, 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 the story of the organization, to some extent, the infrastructure, the technical infrastructure, the digital infrastructure, but it will influence, critically influence the health of the organization. And as Shimrit and I started then discussing this idea, actually what we started to realize was it it had uh, a really powerful story to it that when you start to look at the seasonality, the habitat, migration, and some of these aspects of a living system like a forest, you realize that organizations are a lot less machines and a lot more like a forest, a lot less like a factory and more like a living system. Um, so that's my story. But what, what's your story of it, Shimri? <laughs> um, I love hearing that told every time. Don't you get, uh, doesn't it get boring? Cause you I don't it. get bored of it. No, I don't. Oh, okay. um, and so, I mean, my, my side of it, the, the reason kind of why I wanted to get involved and why now is the story that Paul just told is, is obviously deeply personal to him and it's he brought the ideas to me. And so for us, as we explored them through conversation, there are a few things where we realized we were both deeply passionate about um, and that this gave us the framework with which to explore those ideas. And one was the idea that the old story of work, this industrial model that we've inherited from generations past and which influences so much of work today, is, is just fundamentally broken. It doesn't, it, it's brought with it a lot of benefits um, and at the same time, a lot of harms to the, to the planet, to people. And so as we look to the future, do we, as Paul was saying, do we want more digital? Do we want to be moving into a digital age 
where it's all about technology? Or is there something better and more inspiring that we can create as a story about what our relationship with work is and what it means? And so as we were exploring this idea of forests and nature um, and what that means in terms of an organization being alive, it just felt like a very natural, inspiring story to be able to tell that helps recenter number one, our relationship with nature, which needs healing, but also our relationship with each other through the ecosystem of work, um, whether that's our relationships with leaders, with each other, the need for, for greater and greater diversity in all its different forms. And so to make that accessible and understandable to a huge number of people where you don't necessarily need uh, an MBA, for example, um, to understand how a business operates, but it can relate to it. That language of nature is instantly relatable and accessible and has no judgment to it either. So to have that language and to use nature as almost like a catalyst for change um, felt hugely important. You both tell such compelling origin story. I can't wait to dive into some of the themes around the book. So one of the things I noticed as soon as I opened the box with my copy of the book was that it was just the beautiful and unique combination of a coffee table book with um, some grounding as a business book. And so Shamrit, can you tell us a little bit about the key themes? Yes. And I think the, the design of the book was so important to us so that it doesn't feel like another business book, but the, the medium needs, it helps carry the message. So, which is why it's, it's so full of beautiful imagery, which uh, our, our team helped procure and select. Um, and so as you work through the book, you'll find the first section is really about introducing you to the idea of nature of work why we feel it's important, kind of the history of, of work and the different eras it's been through and really introducing you and inducting you into this whole idea and way of thinking. The bulk of the book then focus on, focuses on 12 nature of work elements, which we uh, identified and wanted to talk about. So these are elements which are kind of rooted in nature and the idea of forests and ecosystems. So we look at, for example, the idea of purpose, roots, habitat, biodiversity, relationships. I'm just reading them all out now, actually. <laughs> Structures, life cycles, migration, threats, regeneration, intelligence, and health. And all of those elements have are rooted in the idea of nature and the way in which ecosystems and living systems operate, but help give you a lens through which to view the world of work as an access point. So with habitats, for example, we know that in nature, a habitat is the environment in which an animal, a creature is at home, has everything they need from shelter to food. And if you take that idea of habitat and apply it to the world of work, we can start to better understand not only how physical environments and habitats influence us and impact us when we're working and how we influence them, but also if we, it helps us think about digital worlds of work and our relationship with how they're designed and how we feel when we access them and are they meeting our needs and how they shape us. And so each one of those 12 elements is really 
a lens through which you can view the world of work and understand it in that kind of multifaceted way. If you think of a shining a light through a diamond, for example, and how it fragments into different colors, it helps you explore each new different elements of work that I think to date sometimes fall by the wayside a little bit, but are a critical part of how we experience work. And Shamreen, if you had to pick one of the 12 elements to zoom in on with our audience, what would that be and why? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, well, habitats is obviously hugely important at the moment, considering where we are as we start to slowly emerge from the pandemic and the idea of lockdown. So really thinking about where is where are we when work is taking place, whether that's physically or digitally, uh, and what it means for hybrid workforces. Because our habitat for work for many of us has drastically changed and our home habitat has become our work habitat and that has huge implications. And then as we move forward, really thinking about where are we when we work, whether it's a retail floor or a cafe or inside a redesigned office, which has been reimagined um, I think using that idea of habitat helps recenter the conversation around what do humans really need from their physical and digital spaces to help them thrive. Very powerful answer as always, Shamreet. Paul, same question for you. What element would you hone in on and why? My favorite element is, is regeneration. Um, it starts off with a story um, about BMW. It's about the backstory, the origin story of BMW. But it's also um, the heading of the section is how far ahead is the future. And it's about BMW looking forward 116 years into the future, um, what they imagine. And they interview some of the youngest designers inside they tell stories of growing up, their experience growing up. And it's very powerful. And I, the reason why I, I like the regeneration um, element is that if you think of living systems, things that, that, that die then kind of go into the earth, then they create, if you like, the, the, the fertile ground for the future. And, and so there isn't this sense of an ending. There's actually the opportunity to refresh, renew. Um, one of the reasons I like it is that I'm hoping that the book has the capacity to give us a new set of language and a new um, map as we emerge from the pandemic world into what we could call the endemic world, where we're going to be living with um, the virus and its consequences. Um, and and I think there's a lot of talk about build back, reboot, you know, you know, rebuild. And they're, to me, words of a mechanistic period. But if you look at regenerate as a term, you start to think and feel quite differently. So here's an example. I was talking to a CEO of a company with about 500 people. They're a kind of agency experience, creative agency. And he said to me yesterday that he's experiencing things that he doesn't have answers to. So there's new levels of work from home, 
Two of the people inside the organization have moved from one location to another location, didn't tell anybody inside the company this was happening. Then, because they've moved to a different location, they're actually entitled to get paid differently. And if they get paid differently, everybody else in their team gets paid differently. Um, there's also different rules around uh, data in this particular area. Um, so he said that there are kind of questions flying at him. Um, that he's got no answer to. And he said, I'm, I'm looking through the book. And he said, I'm looking into the different chapters on, on life cycle and habitat. I think he said, I'm looking for a sort of inspiration to try and understand where we're going. Um, and I think that um, that's the, uh, the, the, the power of it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the book helps you flesh out the answers to the questions you didn't know you should have. Yes, I, I think there are a whole host of questions that organizations face now that they almost don't even know they've got. So the questions that they think they've got is where a third of people are going to be working somewhere differently to where they worked in late 2019 in perpetuity. That doesn't mean a third of the people are always at home. It's, it's, let's call it hybrid working. So there's a lot of focus around what's the nature of the workplace going to be look like, look like, how do we kind of stop people getting fatigued and so on. But the other issue that's going on are all to do with what I would think of as social, ecological. I mean, Shimrit referred to it. The reason, one of the reasons why we wanted to do a book called Nature of Work is to bring the world of nature and the world of work together because they need to become in intimate relationship. There's a company called Mindful Chef. They're a large kind of home recipe company set up several years ago in the UK. They started with carbon neutrality from the word go for every meal they, they uh, sell. They give two to people in developing countries. They've just become a B, better corporation, and they're hugely commercially successful. Now, I can see that organization continuing for decades because they've organized themselves and structured themselves in what I would think of as a nature of work philosophy. And, and if you take another organization, I won't pick one out because it, it, I, don't, I don't know enough to criticize one particular organization. But let's say somebody who hasn't got that kind of holistic uh, way of approaching it, I would say their future will be more fragile, more vulnerable more prey to um, threats. And we've got a whole section in the book on threat because we don't see nature as a kind of benign, almost like Disney-like environment. You know, as we all know, you know, nature's a kind of brutal and quite unforgiving place as well. And, and so it's, it's, it, but it's that multiplicity of, of experience. I'd love to bring you into the conversation now, Sue, as someone who had early access to the Nature of Work book um, two sets of questions to start. One is uh, to get a bit of insight into how it resonated with you and why, but also given your background around business transformation, I'd love to explore a bit more about the, the key elements and, and how leaders can bring these elements into the workplace and, and really help frame deep practice in times of uncertainty. So let's start with how the book resonated with you and why. 
<laughs> well, it certainly did resonate. I think for, for everyone who knows me, it certainly did resonate. Um, I began reading it and immediately got hooked. And I was reading it electronically. It is a beautiful book when you actually have it in, in hardback. Um, and I couldn't put it down. You know, I started reading it over a weekend. And it wasn't a murder mystery, you know, but I could not put it down. And to be perfectly honest, it, it, just, it just made sense to me. Um, I think it hit my personal beliefs the need for change in the workplace. It's full of fantastic research and case studies and the stories that you, you, you know, you're hearing Paul and, and Shimri sort of refer to. And I, what amazes me about it actually is that it's really easy to remember. You know, the 12 elements and how they build is easy to remember. I can remember them straight away. And I think that's quite unusual. And there is something in the language, the metaphors, the visuals, and also my own personal memories across nature and experience in the workplace that totally worked for me. And I could see how to use it, which I think comes on to really the second part of the question. I mean, for me, deep, deep practice, just to explore, explore those words. So deep practice, I also come from a sporting background and I'm fascinated about team performance and skill acquisition. And in the sporting context, to be a world-class, you know, at one skill level takes, they, they tend to say 10,000 hours of practice or 10 years. So if you take, you know, Andy Murray's a tennis player, you think how many skills he has, but you can create these deep practice moments to accelerate that. So you can learn in six minutes what would take a month. And this has all been, been sort of proven. So in the workplace context, I look for similar opportunities. How can you accelerate deep practice? So if you take graduates who have recently come out of a graduate program, how do you design an ecosystem where they can get exposure to C-suite people in discussions to expedite their personal development, but also you've got to drive your own business outcomes and, and value? And I also think we are in a world now where we are often working in really complex, ambiguous environments, and the last year has just been an explosion of that. So how do you get a team that you are in or leading to connect quicker at a deeper level, because if you do that, then you know our team performance will increase, and that's where I think this this book and this approach uh, can really help. I do think. I mean, Shimri says about the lens, you know, the, the metaphors, the elements. I think that and the language can ignite these moments, and I think that's really important work and really ignite these moments in your organisation, in your teams, and with your customers. So if I put a leader's hat on, I like the idea of using the 12 elements in my monthly team meetings, whatever size that is. That could be a business function. It could be actually driving a new uh, vision through my whole organization. It could be actually with my, you know, with my team, uh, you know, my, my management team. Um, and I would actually have a deep dive across all the 12 elements. That's what I'd kick off with. Um, and then maybe go through the year working on an element a month. Using it, you know, as a team, using it as a framework. I mean, Paul used the term a map, and I think that's a great term. Uh, so what's our purpose? You know, what, what's our organisation purpose? Well, what's our team's purpose? What's our individual purpose? How can we connect? How can we actually join together? And, you know, I do think that if you take it at that, that point as a leader with your team, you know, ask the questions, you know, what do we need to regenerate? You know, you can use that to absolutely drive really healthy strategies going forward. 
And then equally, if I was personally in the workplace in a challenging situation, which I think a lot of people have been <laughs> over the past year, where I needed new insights or where I had to provide you know, difficult feedback or have a difficult conversation, I think if you look to nature for a guide and for inspiration, and once again, the nature of work, these metaphors, they're, not, they're non-judgmental examples, you can find ones that will resonate with the situation you're in. And you can use that to shape the conversation. And because it's non-judgmental, actually build the idea and challenge the status quo and go on from there. I really like this, this idea of bringing the elements into team meetings and using them as a framework for, for conversation. Um, I'd love to actually bring in another angle to the action plans. And so um, in organizations, very often you'll find that there are change makers and makers of change. And what would you say the nature of workbook calls to action are for these two sets of stakeholders in the organization? Yes, well, very definitely. It can be exhausting being a change maker. <laughs> and, and if you're a maker of change, then you have a very difficult role. Um, so for me, I think whichever you are, I would say call to action. Firstly, get the book and enjoy it. Uh, take time and reflect and connect with it. And I think then think about your role and your responsibilities, your relationships and challenges and how bringing these different lenses and language can help you achieve what you need to. Because you tend to know what you need to achieve, but actually it's how to get there. Um, I think try it out. Um, and it's, you know, it's quite interesting. I mean, I was presenting recently to a panel and one of the questions was about how their design, delivery and sales methodologies were interrelated. And it, I mean, I, I made many points, but one of the points I made was that they were building habitats of psychological safety. Now, if you think that, you know, once again, psychological safety, you know, that term is becoming more talked about in the workplace. But afterwards, one of the panel leaders actually called that out. He said, I love the fact you said habitats. And he said it really slowly habitats of psychological mm -hmm. safety so i think it just showed that actually by me adding that word in made a complete difference to how that message was received so try it out you know try it repeat it feel it and once again that actually links back to how you build skills um, and deep practices is actually chunk it up you know the elements you know i would see in sporting context of chunks repeat it feel it then if you're a change maker and if you're feeling like you're pushing water uphill, which quite often you can as a change maker, I would say go and find a maker of change. Go and seek one out uh, to connect and collaborate with. And if you're a maker of change, make sure you have relationships with change makers because they will help you ignite your mission. And I think if you can actually build these interconnected relationships between change makers and makers of change and jointly use the nature of work as a common language, you will drive faster business outcomes. And, and Nancy, can I just sort of pick up on 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 the points Sue just made there, and just kind of um, share a, a sort of observation about the book, which is picking up on this idea that it's a map, and the way that um, Sue so eloquently described how it can be used in by organisations. <laughs> Becoming a nature of work organisation or recognising yourself as a living system is not something you sort of, it's not a new set of clothes that you adopt. 
it's it's not something that you, if you like, train yourself to become. The point that we're making right at the beginning of the book is you're already alive. You don't, it's just that you think of yourself more like a machine. So the industrial age created, and it worked quite well for probably more than 150 years, the idea of the organization as mechanism. You know, if you look at the um, Model T Ford factory and, and that model, which kind of rolled through the 20th century, but really think it's not that you're not alive and you need to breathe life into your organization. You're already there. The way I think about it is imagine you're looking at a, a landscape um, through a camera lens and the lens is unfocused. So it's just a blur. But as you start to adjust the lens, the landscape comes into sharper and sharper relief. And at some point you go, I can completely see it. It's not that the landscape just arrived and and sort of landed in front of you. It was already there. It's just that now that you can see it through a particular lens. And that's where I think the language um, and that's a beautiful story, Sue, about somebody connecting into this word habitat. You know, if you're in facilities, real estate, uh, HR, and you start to think not about return to the workplace just, but you start to think about your employees and contractors being in habitats on any given day. Some of those habitats you'll own, some of them will be small versions, some will be close to home, so you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then well, how do we create the right habitat for our organization and our people to be in, in on any given day? And I think, you know, currently we're we're in this environment of the pandemic, but arguably, you know, there are weather events, there are political events that have an impact on how, when, and where we work. And having this notion of habitat take on a wider view, especially for digital workplace practitioners who uh, in large part tune into this podcast um, is an important way to think about things. And so Shamrit, I'd love to bring you in next and ask you to help us take that lens and sharpen it now for digital workplace practitioners and talk a little bit about how the book can impact that audience. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that came out of 2020 for digital workplace practitioners uh, is the idea that the digital workplace became the essential workplace, which I know that uh, has been covered on the podcast before, I think, in terms of our Decade of Courage manifesto. In the absence of shared physical space, we had organize, we've had we seen organizations rapidly deploying new digital habitats, to use the language, things like Microsoft Teams, which just accelerated hugely in terms of take-up and adoption and, and things like Zoom. And now that we're out of that, immediate crisis mode, we're starting to see things settle down a little bit and we're starting to see digital workplace teams thinking about how do we support hybrid workforces. We're seeing digital workplace projects that have been put on hold start to ramp up again. And so I think the way in which Nature of Work can help those teams who have been through that rapid acceleration of rolling out tools and are now having to think about, okay, what comes next? that language of nature of work provides that useful lens. So Paul was talking about regeneration 
for example, and the importance of that as an idea. Well, what nature teaches us and what some of the frameworks and the research showed us is that you can either out of a crisis seek to recover the status quo of what this whatever state you were in prior to the crisis and you can try and recover that at which point as you were saying Nancy all it means is that you're not ready for the next crisis and you're in this constant cycle of having to react and that can lead to an eventual decline so as a digital workplace team how do you regenerate out of this moment to look at the things that you've now put in place what do you want to be able to keep what helps you evolve to the next form in terms of what your people need? How can we build that stronger to improve our resilience and our readiness and to help our people connect better? So I think, as Sue was saying, using that framework of the, the elements to help people review practices and strategies, that's the kind of way in which I think digital workplace teams can start to use this. So another example would be um, looking at roots. As Paul was describing, the idea of roots being this unseen system of the forest, which are actually crucial to the, the health of the forest. One of the things which you're reading about more and more in the press and elsewhere as well is this idea of the wood wide web. And underneath that is the discovery that trees within a forest actually are connected and communicate with one another and share nutrients and, for want of a better word, knowledge through those connected root systems. If you're a digital workplace practitioner, that goes to the heart of what you're doing day to day. You're looking to how to connect people and teams through systems to help enable collaboration, to help enable knowledge flow, to help enable all those different things that you need, that sharing of resource. And so if you take the idea of roots and foundational systems and reimagine the work that you're doing in that way, it helps really bring home the idea that the digital workplace is the essential workplace as well and helps you reimagine what that network of connections really looks like. And within that, you can start to think about who's missing, who's not connected. Are there people who, as a result of not being uh, within that system of knowledge and communication, are suffering and so on and so forth. So I think really taking each of those elements, using it to think about the digital workplace and where it is and what you can do next will really help digital workplace teams make the case, but also kind of appreciate their work in that way so that it's, it's really essential. And I think the other thing is, it gives, starts to give that shared language across the organization. So we know from our own experience and from talking to our members that with the best will in the world, it can often be challenging to create relationships with IT, with HR, with finance, with whoever the functions are and across the organization. Those I used to be in facilities. I started my life in facilities, my career, and then moved into knowledge management. And now what I do with DWG. And you need a completely different language and understanding and view of the world, depending on which function you sit in. The beauty, I think, of using the language that is brought forth in Nature of Work is that it starts to create that shared language and view of the world where you can start to, it's almost a translator between those different functions and starts to make it easier to collaborate cross-functionally. So again, talking about habitats, 
if you just talk about facilities or you just talk about the digital workplace team or you just talk about the internet team, each of those is almost a separate habitat in and of itself. But if you're thinking about where people are and what they need when they work in order to create that thriving environment, it's much easier to then bring people together to say, okay, how do we create that? So I think that could be the impact. So put another way, digital workplace practitioners and and others across the corporate sector, in a sense, need to think about the employee experience as a habitat that cuts across people, places, technology. And the 12 elements give you a way to explore each of those impacts to create a space for employees to thrive in times of uncertainty. Yeah, and I think there's another way of of sort of thinking about that as well, um, Nancy, which is that one of the things that organizations and digital workplace teams are being asked to help with is all of the the kind of fatigue that people have had, the digital fatigue, the digital, you know, the exhaustion, the kind of blurring of work life. I think I think you know there's so much concern. I mean, there's some of the stats around the level of stress that people experience on a day-to-day basis. I mean, there was a McKinsey survey recently, and it was kind of scary. Eighty percent plus of of people finding a, a stress in work every single day, and I think if you start to look at look at it through the lens of health, which is another of the the elements. I was thinking to myself, where do you look in nature and see exhaustion? Um, you can certainly see places in nature where there's a struggle, where there's painful impact on nature. But but you, you don't see, if you like, a level of stress. Uh, you don't see a level of exhaustion. What you see are environments that are more or less healthy. And so if you start to think about how do we create across our organization a healthier way of working, it opens up different ways. I mean, you, you know, organizations are tracking and understanding what's happening, and that's really useful. The more data, the more understanding. I think the, the analytics that are coming from Microsoft are really useful. But it, it's sort of opening your mind to a different way of thinking about um, fatigue um, stress, uh, exhaustion, um, things that I think human beings have manufactured in work, but I don't think nature has. That's quite a powerful statement, Paul. And, you know, I think about things like the launch of Viva and the push around more data in organizations to try to ground decisions. But I also think, having heard you say this in the past, it puts an exclamation point on the idea that leaders need to actively listen to what's going on in their organizations so that um, decisions they make are not only guided by the data, but by the tone and the shifting needs of the organization as well. Yeah. And so, Sue, of course, I'd love to bring you back in Paul earlier talked about this idea that we were moving from pandemic to endemic and organizations are trying to understand how to manage distributed teams in new and different ways. And I'd love to hear your best advice for approaching this with 
the backdrop of the nature of work? Um, yes. I mean, for me, we are about to go into the next stage of this natural experiment, you know, and I think Paul, you know, started giving examples which organizations are going to be coming up, these new behaviors that are coming out every day. Um, and I, I think for organizations, and once again, you can't, you know, there is going to be new things that will come up. We are going into a new world and you can't predict everything that's going to happen. But what you can have is actually have an ecosystem to actually work with that uncertainty. And once again, I do think if you have a nature of work as a framework and a map, you can almost overlay some certainty on uncertainty, if, if that makes sense. So I do think, and when I was sort of resonating, <laughs> reflecting on this, it, you know, it's policies from in company language, you know, they're going to be, they're updating policies. And you think of what they had to do last year in very, very quick uh, turnaround of really you know, revisiting their remote working policies, etc. And there's going to be more iterations of that. Um, you know, Shimri mentioned facilities. You know, one thing is about actually returning to the office in whatever form that is, hybrid, but then actually how to actually manage office utilisation levels, you know, as the world becomes begins to stabilise, etc. So there's loads of examples that are being talked about now and more are going to come to light. And I think that... Something that, that maybe um, that I would like to draw out from the book, in the book, under each of the elements, within the chapters, there's questions. And these questions are very open questions. Uh, and if I was you know, in the situation of having to, uh, you know, to rework a policy, I would actually look to those questions because they will get you to think differently. And I think if you think differently – the chances are you will actually just look at the world in a slightly different light, the new world in a slightly different light, and you will then consider that that aspect for your policy. Because you have to remember that as well as the sort of challenges that we're talking about, you know, what do you do about London waiting allowance if you've got a hybrid workforce, someone comes in twice a week versus twice a month. But you've also actually got the, the you know, the generic challenges which will continue, you know, the war for talent, the expectations of employees and behaviours will be employed, will be completely different going forward. And, you know, organisations are going to have to adapt and regenerate for that. So I would come back to, I think if you use the questions in the book to sense check the new policies, I think you will de-risk the, the uncertainty for the organisation going forward. That's a really helpful way to think about it, Sue. And Paul, I'd love to bring you in. I know that some people are self-directed. They can work immediately off the guidance that Sue has shared. Others need to be surrounded to be able to absorb and incorporate material or framework like this. And so for those listeners who are looking for a way to put nature of work into their deep practices, how could they get started? Well, one thing that um, I'm very excited about is that um, there's going to be a festival uh, based on the book called the Nature of Work Festival, um, N-O-W, now. By the way, that wasn't intentional. We just came up with the title Nature of Work and it turns out the uh, the acronym is now. And it's it's happening in, in three host cities, Singapore, London and New York, in the week of the 20th of September. 
It's happening in person. Yeah, do you remember that when we all used to meet up and go to things together? That that was the in-person world. It's going to be happening in person, Singapore, London and New York, but also through a glo- global broadcast studio uh, in London. Think more like the James Corden show, the Graham Norton show, the BBC's coverage of Glastonbury, and it's going to be festival week. And we're going to take people during that week through the 12 elements Um the Digital Workplace Group is partnering with a large event experience company called Questex, who approached us late last year and said, can we run a festival based on the book? And so we're delighted that's happening. But it's really a chance to either in person um, or and or through the, the broadcast to be part of this week long experience. And in tune with the times, we're creating this as more as a platform, as a community, and as a as part of the uh, nature of work movement. So there's going to be interesting people featured at it from the book. We hope, as well as other uh, other people, uh, we're going to have material for as you've been talking about it, the change makers, and then the other group, the the people whose role is makers of change. And some of those people might, you know, it might be the same person in different parts of their um, their story. So that's um, uh, if you go to nowfestival.com, you can register and um, be part of the be part of the festival. Fantastic. So we're just about out of time and I would just open things up to you, Paul, Shamrit, Sue. Any final reflections? I'm just really excited by by nature of work as a concept and as a framework. I think one of the things that I've found is, you know, I do knowledge management. I do digital workplace stuff. None of my friends or family are remotely interested in that uh, unless they want help with how to access Teams or change something on their laptop. But being able to talk about nature of work gave us a language to be able to talk about their experience of work and how they feel. And it gave them something to connect with that for the first time, it created conversations that I've not had before with different generations as well. So talking with friends and women who are my age and kind of where they are in their life for the first time using that framework gave us space to talk about, well, what do we see our purpose in work? How do we feel about diversity? What are the things that matter to us? And what do we think is important for future generations coming into the world of work? And I think that's one of the the huge beauties of this framework is that it helps create that intergenerational um, conversation and crosses many different types of person about what we want work to be and how we want to feel about it. So to me, that's that's the nice big takeaway, I think, and reflection on nature of work. I love that. How about you, Sue? Any final reflections? Yes, I mean, I can completely agree with everything that Shimrich just said there. And I mean, my personal reflection is actually is one of thanks. I mean, really, I want to thank you both for writing the book. Um, and I know you had, uh, you know, team support and everything else like that. Um, and thank you for the festival, because I, you know, I feel passionate that it is now is the time for a new story of work for a living age. And I do think this is a way forward. And it gives me the sense of a map for now. And um, and outlines a movement that I want to become part of. So thank you. 
Thank you for reading it. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, down to you for the final final. Well, one of the surprising things that's happened with the book, Unplanned Unexpected. So I was over at my sister's the other day and somebody was, we were nicely socially distanced outside and somebody said, oh, can I see see the book? I said, well, Madeline's got a copy of it. And 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 then my nephew Ben said sheepishly, "No, I, I actually the copy's over at our house because the kids keep looking through it." Now he's got one, a son of about three, a daughter of five, and what we have seen and heard time and time again is that the books are getting picked up by people's children, quite young children as well. They look through, attracted by the, as you called it, Nancy. It's a coffee table book looks like a coffee table book about nature so they're picking up the uh, on the animals they're also telling each other stories about it of course their knowledge of ecology and nature is is so uh, so strong and so this is the first business book that i think i, I mean i i know peter senge's fifth discipline was tremendous but I don't think there were that many children picking up and going, this is, you've got it. You won't believe what I've just read. So I'm, I'm wondering a about where that goes and also what the effects of this generation, maybe, maybe it'll change the way they think about work and not uh, that they're reading all the stories about BMW, but it's capturing and, and, and um, I'm wondering, you know, what happens with this uh, group of people who seem to really enjoy it. I was smiling and and reflecting. It almost feels like you need a new tagline for the Nature of Work book. And that is, uh, it's the book for all generations from eight to 80. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you're presented with pictures of axolotls and penguins and all the rest, you can't help but become engrossed, right? Mm. And you find out that a notter has a pocket under its yes. favourite yeah. stone. Yeah, everybody's got their favourite, their favourite picture, favourite image. Yeah. Uh, and the word we've heard most used about it, and it's come up today, is is beautiful. And wouldn't it be wonderful if if your organisation was both alive but also a thing of of organisational beauty? Absolutely. A perfect ending note. Well, Paul, Shimrit, and Sue, thank you so much for coming together for some fascinating conversation today. Thank you for having me and us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore score podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.